This podcast is sponsored by Bethany House Publishers. Order Carved in Ebony through Baker Bookhouse and save 30% off plus free shipping. Visit bakerbookhouse.com to purchase. Welcome to episode 10 of the Carved in Ebony podcast, where we share bite-sized lessons about the women of Carved in Ebony. I am Jasmine Holmes, the author of Carved in Ebony, and I'm here with my friend. And so right. (laughs) It's tradition now. I have to cut you off. (laughs) The illustrious, the talented, the beautiful. (laughs) I'll take it since it's the last episode. I'll take it. And we're here to talk about our last Cardin Ebony woman, the youngest Cardin Ebony woman. She did not die mm-hmm. until the 60s, actually. Nanny Helen Burroughs. And let me tell y'all about Nanny Helen Burroughs, because this woman almost did not make it into Carved and Ebony. Yep. Not I in the sense that why. I wasn't... Girl, not in the sense that I wasn't interested in her, because I was. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that she wasn't interesting, because she is. But in the sense that she got on my last nerve, and I was like, Nanny, you know what? I'm sick of you. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of the way you... I'm sick of the sound of your voice. Okay, I, I don't like the way that you're talking about black people right now. And so I'm gonna have to just shut it down. The way that Abina feels about Charlotte Fortin. Yep. Is the way that I was about Nanny. And it was just like, I don't know. I didn't know I can't hear you. And that's what Winnie used to say when he didn't want to do what we told him to do. He'd be like, Winnie. <laughs> he was like three. He'd be like, Winnie, go put your shoes on the shelf. I didn't know I can't hear you. That was me. <laughs> that was me. Tell us why, Jasmine. Why? Let me begin at the very beginning. Okay. So Nanny Helen Burroughs was the daughter of the formerly enslaved. Her father and her sister died early on and her mother moved um, Nanny and herself to D.C. And Washington, D.C. at the time is just this interesting juxtaposition of black excellence and Mm -hmm. elite and extreme black poverty. And yeah. so Nanny and her mother lived on the poverty side of the of the thing. But um, Nanny was able to go to M Street School, which was this fantastic academy mm-hmm. that we talked about Oberlin, right? And I kind of yep. threw Mary Church Terrell's name in there, Anna Julia Cooper. Like they, there were these, Abina, like Abina can see my face and she can see how big my smile is right She's now. She's excited. She's very <laughs> excited. <laughs> The black women who taught at this school were incredible. Like, Nanny Helen Burroughs was just, like, raised around... She was educated around the cream of the crop. The top tier. Yep. Oh, just, like, M Street. And I I believe... I believe I could be wrong. I think I'm right, though, that M Street would eventually become Paul Lawrence Dunbar. I think Um, you're right. So if you've heard of Paul Lawrence Dunbar uh, Academy High School, like that's that M Street start. That's it started out as M Street. I can't even talk. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I'm just like. <laughs> and so Nanny was educated at M Street. And mm-hmm. when she finished school, she graduated with honors. She was part of literary societies. Just... Nanny took no prisoners. Right. And yep. so you're listening to me now and you're like, what's your problem? You hate her. And maybe. Why? possibly so nanny wanted to be a teacher but the thing about the dc elite and we talked about this earlier as well was that the dc elite had a certain complexion the black dc elite had a certain complexion neither abina nor i would have been considered no ma'am for the black dc 
elite because we cannot not pass what is called in the black community the paper bag test. Yep. If you are darker than a paper bag, sorry. Sorry. If you're help you. if you're cafe au lait but there's not enough of the milk, sorry. Sorry. Not and so Nanny Hombros ran into that, couldn't mm-hmm. get a teaching job because she didn't look the part. And so even in this black excellence mecca that is DC at the time, there's colorism that is mm-hmm. keeping women like Nanny Helen Burroughs from being able to achieve the same level of success as like a Mary Church Terrell or an Anna yep. Julia Cooper. And so what does Nanny do? She says, you know what? Fine. I will work for myself. And she did. She worked so hard for herself. She worked days. She worked nights. She worked in writing. She worked in service. She broke her back working until she was mm-hmm. able to start her very own school in dc and as we said we alluded in the last episode it was a trade school as well as a liberal arts school but not only did she start her own school she was incredibly involved in the baptist convention she was a staunch christian who continually continually went to um the baptist and was like hey hey women have so much to give y'all if you will just listen to us and if you will just let us help. One of her major speeches is called How the Women Are Hindered from Helping. Yep. Let us help. Let us be part of the solution. Let us be out in the streets. Let us be out, like, doing what we need to do to Mm -hmm. bring the light of Christ and to also have the church involved in these social justice issues that the church cares about. And so, you know, again, Jasmine, what's wrong with you? Like, this sounds like the most <laughs> I'm still waiting woman. to hear like, what's, why. What's your problem? <sighs> <laughs> Such a loaded pause. Come on, tell a us. pregnant pause. <laughs> Nanny Helen Burroughs is often called the female Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason she's called the female Booker T. Washington is that Booker T. Washington, and let me... No disrespect to this man's name. I think it is so important for me as a 21st century black woman to to be respectful of my elders and to be respectful of the ancestors and to be respectful of the people who risk so much more than I will ever risk Mm -hmm. to be able to put me in the position that I am in. So that's why there's so many pregnant pauses here, because I'm kind of (laughs) I'm kind of like tongue in cheek here, because obviously Nanny ended up in the book and obviously I, I grew to love her. But the thing about her is the same thing about Booker T. Washington. Sometimes Washington was a little bit more conciliatory than I wanted him to be yeah. to white folks yeah. in order to thrive, right? And in order to get the funds that he needed to get for his school and in order to, we've talked about it, right? We've talked about the the concessions that black folks have to make sometimes in order to move safely mm-hmm. and successfully in white society. And Booker T. Washington made more of those concessions than I personally how else was he going to get to be friends with Andrew Carnegie? I it wasn't going to happen any other I way. I know. But it's also like, why did you want to be friends with Andrew Carnegie? He's the worst. Yeah. But because he had the money that you need. It's just these questions, like these these, these difficult decisions, right? Because it's easy for me to be like, why would you want to be friends with Andrew Carnegie? He's the worst. Yeah. He's literally the worst. It's like, okay, Jasmine, very easy for you to say. Do you need his money to start this school for formerly enslaved people to be able to be functional members of society? Mm -hmm. No, Jasmine, you don't. 
you'll get to sit there and be comfortable in 2021 because of the work that he did. Yep. And judge him. And that's right? the thing about this whole kind of debate that it operates on a binary. And as you said in the previous episode, Lucy Craftlini kind of proves that it's not a binary. So there are kind of two schools of thought. One is the Booker T. Washington school of thought, which is like, we have been enslaved. The first primary thing that we need is economic development. Mm -hmm. We need money. We need to build wealth. We need to, you know, focus on craft and trade. We don't need all of this, you know, kind of like Harvard elite education because mm -hmm. it's not going to serve us in terms of building wealth. So when he opens a Tuskegee Institute, it is a practical, you know, school where people are learning skills, trades, crafts, all of that kind of thing, which I feel like we have to, the way that Booker T. Washington makes sense to me is we have to remember he was enslaved. He is in the context of people who have been, you know, cut off from gaining skills a lot of the time. Like it's, you know, a very small section mm -hmm. of the enslaved population that ended up being artisans and, you know, blacksmiths and that kind of thing. So the ability to build wealth just wasn't there. That's a huge problem at the end of the Civil War is, yes, they have freedom in name, but nobody has any skills and are ending up having to go back to, you know, the plantations to become sharecroppers or whatever, which is the majority of what formerly enslaved people were doing. So what where he's coming from makes sense to me. I feel like you have to contextualize him mm -hmm. in, you know, his own narrative and what has happened and what he's been around. Contrastingly, there's the W.E.B. Du Bois school of thought. Du Bois was not enslaved. He was in the North. He goes to Harvard. He is completely a black middle class from elite circles in the North, you know, and he actually comes, he goes to Fisk. He's somebody, another school that the AMA was a part of opening, you know? Um, so he's just coming from a completely different background. And his thing is, sure, economics is important, but like, we need to be respected before the law. We need to have the vote. We need mm -hmm. to be fighting in these political and legal spheres for us to have any meaningful type of freedom. Yeah. And so... He is concerned with elite education, you know, refinement of the black community, all of these things that have also been cut off from the black communities in the South and in the North as well, a lot of the time. Du Bois is pushing for that. But again, we can understand him through his context. He Absolutely. got to go to Harvard. <laughs> he, and he's like, I, you know, I, it's, I think it's really important too, to, uh, I totally interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. I think it's really important as well because I, you know, I'm, I was very critical of Du Bois, of, of uh, Washington. Well, as much as I felt comfortable being critical of him, which is, mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think it's also important to, to talk about the dark side of Du Bois, which is the talented 10th. Yeah. You know, yep. he didn't, he didn't want all black people to have access to education. Mm -mm. <laughs> he just wanted the really smart ones to have access to education. Yep. And to the point where he was in bed with eugenicists at one point, not so much that now there's, we think there's, there's two different kinds of eugenics. eugenics. Yes. There's, there's positive eugenics and negative eugenics and negative eugenics is actually killing off people and positive eugenics is encouraging the quote unquote right kind of people to procreate. When I say positive, I don't mean positive as, as like a superlative. A I mean, thing. it's literally yeah. called positive eugenics. And so he was more on the positive side of eugenics of like, we need to make sure that the right kinds of people are 
procreating and get so yep not at all to to, to make it seem as though like washington is is complicated and the boys oh, is just no. like straightforward no 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 yeah we're we're all complicated here and what's at the heart of i feel like both of them just coming from different origins is respectability you Absolutely. know this idea and you talk about it in your book of respect being something that black people have to earn rather than are just due because we're human beings also you know yeah. i feel like nanny helen burrows is kind of concerning herself with that conversation which again mm -hmm. i feel like it's my advisor who had to kind of like you know tell me to calm down yeah, they gotta pull <laughs> us back this. because you gotta you're, pull you back yes you have to understand like let's be honest enslavement did indeed degrade people that's why it was so bad it cut people off from growth that you know all of these different things that right. enslavement did means that those things had to be built up you know and i think where to me it becomes problematic as you know suggesting these people didn't have any culture they didn't have any morals right. Right. they didn't have any you know sense of self identity anything right. like that that's where it becomes problematic but we have to be able to say <laughs> that at in 1865 we're building from zero right and we have to actually look at people like nanny helen burroughs who's coming you know a generation after slavery has ended to be like hey we've got to do things differently we've got to yeah. learn we've got to grow like i mean we, there weren't, are things we, we weren't even citizens here exactly so you, like it's literally ground zero of our citizenship and you know so when i first came into contact with Nanny Helen Burroughs, it was through people who were using her mm -hmm. teachings to advance this conversation that's currently happening with black conservatives who, and I am a theologically conservative person, yeah. right? Just putting my cards on the table there. Mm. But this kind of, I'm a just, cause if I talk around it, it's just gonna be too hard. This kind of yeah. like Candace Owens, Yep. Thomas Sowell, Shelby Steele, yep. you know, John McWhorter, uh, of all of them, I actually find the most benefit from McWhorter, but not when he's talking about race, so when he's talking yep. about linguistics. Yep. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, that's kind of how I came into contact with Nanny, and I was like, oh, no, no, she's just like criticizing black folks all up in front of white people, and like, uh, I don't know. Yep. But I, I actually got a hold of her complete works and realized that Nanny had that truth for everybody. For everybody. Yeah. Whereas Booker T. Washington was like literally said to white people, like, if you give us a chance, you will find that we will be loyal to you guys. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And yeah. we'll support you guys because we love you guys because mm -hmm. you're awesome. You know, again, what did he need to say to get done what he needed to get done? Right. Yeah. Nanny would never. Nanny would never. Nope. <laughs> he is candid across the board. Across the board. Candid. And so I can't, I cannot fault her for being mm -hmm. candid across the board with, because, you know, and this is what happens when you don't go to the sources, when you let yes. people who turn people into who they need mm -hmm. them to be. Right. Yeah. They turned her into a mascot for, for what they wanted her to say. Mm -hmm. And I almost fell for that and almost missed out on the opportunity to have this yep. woman in my book and to learn about this woman because I let somebody along the same lines as those other folks who I'm not speaking ill of those folks like you got you can learn from them and 
that's fine. My background is way more aligned with them than not. And so I have a little bit less patience <laughs> than, than others do just because I, Thomas Sowell was like a household name for me. So yep. people who are discovering him who are like, man, he has some good stuff to say. I'm like, yeah, I already went through that. <laughs> been, been here, done that. Yeah. I already did that. I'm tired of it now. You know, and, and so I, once I went back to the sources and saw like Nanny was going to be hard in the black community to the black community's face. Yeah. She was not tap dancing for white folks. No. Her main concern was to uplift the black community. And so yeah. when she was crit- critiquing the black community, she was doing it to them. When she was talking to white folks, she was telling them about themselves. Precisely. Yeah. And that's really the difference between mm-hmm. her and some of these other voices that we so often hear who were critiquing the black community for majority white audiences. Mm-hmm. Nanny was critiquing the black community to their faces and then using her life's blood, sweat and tears, her life's work to build up the community that she was critiquing because she loved them. Yeah. Because she wanted to advance them. It it had had very little to do with impressing white people, very Mm -hmm. little to do with giving white people a window into black life. Yeah. She was concerned. Or political with her folks. expediency no, or profit no. or anything. Like it she is was concerned. Cons- yes. Yeah. She put her money where her mouth was. And and Precisely. that's really what I've learned to look at. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got some critiques to the black community. Okay. What are you doing to build it up? Yeah. I'm sorry. Like she are, us, she what are you doing to build to it see up? That it's possible. And I think Yes. In terms of like reflections and what I hope people think about is like she cannot be put into a box. She can't. And I love that about her and yes. how much how much do we want because of, you know, social approval, again, political expediency, like for whatever reason, do we just want to pick a camp and sit in it? Yes. You know, when no matter actually, what, no matter what, no matter you know, what. to the point where we're willing to be inconsistent. Because totally. overall, our camp is accomplishing good things. So we got to exactly. bite our tongue so we can so just stick with our camp. I'm going to argue for things that I don't actually believe in because, right. you know, this is just the camp that I belong to now. Mm-hmm. I feel like Nally, Nanny Helen Bur- Burroughs really offers a, a third path and yeah. really reminds me that I don't have to fit into either camp. I can actually boldly walk a third path that's like, mm, you're right about some things and wrong about some things. And, yeah. and I'm going to be somebody who's willing to say that. And I'm going to be willing to piss off whoever I need to piss off to be true exactly. to what I actually believe and what I actually think. Because there are times when I'm reading Annie and I'm like, girl, you didn't have to say it like that. No, you right. Couldn't. But she was she was speaking the truth and i think it's so interesting because like even in so like nanny was a thorn in my side and charlotte was a thorn in your side and i think even Mm -hmm. through our conversation we became more compassionate towards definitely both of them yeah and nanny is a thorn in my side because of my past i think we talked about how charlotte because of yours well because of my past you know Mm -hmm. growing up i was in an environment where it was expedient for me to be incredibly critical of the black community Mm -hmm. so that the white people that i was around could see that i wasn't like them yep and that's embarrassing to say but it's the truth but it's true and i put that on i put that on nanny yeah. You know, so take out take out the names of like take out Candace Owens and Shelby. Take out all of them, you know, mm-hmm. because you can maybe maybe you're thinking like, well, I'm gonna defend them. Fine, okay, I'll talk yeah. about myself. Yeah. I was 
doing it for reasons that were socially expedient. 100%. A place that was completely removed from the black community because I was raised around white people. Mm -hmm. So I was critiquing black folks to white folks without any sense of building the community that I was critiquing. And I put that on Nanny. And then once I got into her life, I was like, I almost can just see her being like, little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Like, you're trying to... you you trying to critique me. <laughs> I'm so glad you're honest about that because yeah, that is that that is my primary kind of pushback with Charlotte. I'm like, you were the exception to the rule and mm-hmm. you were fine with being the exception to the rule. And I'm like, oh wait, that's how I've navigated stuff too. Yes, because like, it's I'm hard. The other ones, exactly. It's and hard. So that's what I love about this book, is it it, it kind of brings that to the foreground of like where and my reactions coming from why do i have a problem with this woman and most of the time it's because of stuff we have had to navigate and i think that's yes. what's so special about this book to kind of like wrap it all up since this is the last episode i think that is what is so special about this book is i for the first time at the age of 28 get to read a book where i am seeing women that i see myself in mm-hmm. that i'm like I get this. I get why they chose that. I get the struggle that they faced as Black women of faith in this country, you know, and just, I am so excited for everyone to be able to have access to this book because I think it's a true sacred restoration of Black women in American history. But I have to say that I'm particularly excited to be able to give this to my niece, to give this to, you know, sisters in Christ who are also black women and just be like, look, like the things we're talking about, people have been talking about this. We're not alone. We belong to multitudes of women of faith that have felt the things that we have felt, that the feelings that we couldn't name and we don't even know how to define, they here, here are the words yeah. for you. I you know, I've been over here thinking that we're the exception to the rule, and we didn't even know what the rule was. Precisely, like, right? This is, this is what we come from. Like this, this is what's been set before us. Exactly, and it's a feast. It's a feast that's been set before us, and mm-hmm. you know, it's so interesting because I, I hate, uh, uh promoting myself it's the worst. But with Carved and Ebony, I don't even feel like I am because it's not even like, yeah. It's promoting these women. They're incredible. And they're incredible. Even if you only buy the book to like read the footnotes, get into (laughs) it. Like it's there's a lot there. They're incredible. It's incredible. It's been a privilege to give you guys these bite-sized lessons. But I really hope that you turn them into a more thorough exploration, more thorough discovery. Yes. Kind of like the cover of the book, you know, like I just really like the illustration that you've used because that's what thorough explanations can be. These women are our grounding. They're our foundations that we get to build on, that we get to look at today and be like, okay, what do the people of my generation need to hear? What is the transcendent truth that is, you know, getting forgotten in this current moment? And how can I be somebody who speaks truth like we get to learn from their example we get to build on a rich heritage of women speaking truth you know and it's it's exciting it's so exciting 
so exciting. The giddiness that has come out of both of us over I the know. past 10 episodes. I know. both nutting out. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us for these 10 episodes. Yes. We really are. We're just, we're, it's been a privilege. It's been a privilege. It it's been so exciting to, to talk to you and to, to share with you and mm-hmm. to share our excitement and to humble ourselves in the face of these stories of these women who've just been so used by God. Mm-hmm throughout history and in our lives and we hope that we hope that that they're used by him in your life as well yeah thanks for joining us thank you for joining us thank you for giving us the coolest job in the world right (laughs) (laughs) bye y'all bye